Welcome to episode 31 of the What's Up podcast presented by Old Ricky Astro. It's the 13th of November 2018. My name is Martin. I'm Ali. And I'm William. Today we're going to talk about a few news stories that have caught our eye in the last few weeks. We're going to be talking about some mighty missions, a movie review, and a magnitude of other stories, not all of which start with M. Sadly. <laughs> so we'll start off with other sad news. So sadly, we have to report the demise of a couple of missions. Kepler and Dawn have both come, well, I would say come to the end of their lives. I mean, to be honest, they came to the end of their lives a long time ago and have just carried on working like little stalwarts they were, Mm -hmm. um, doing lots of great science. But sadly, both of them have effectively run out of fuel. And so we have to wave goodbye. Um, Kepler was, I mean, probably the more famous of the two. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Kepler was this wonderful mission which was looking for exoplanets. It's been staring at a a pretty big patch of sky. Um, I think it's about almost like a sort of outstretched hand-sized patch of sky mm-hmm. um, to give it a technical size. Mm-hmm. Um, probably you have to have, a, I think you have to have a fairly big hand, actually. A fairly big hand's outstretched hand size on, if you hold it at arm's length up on the sky, uh, near to the constellation of Cygnus, the swan, which is flying down the Milky Way. If you can't find Cygnus, go and look online. Um, it stared for years at the same patch of sky, uh, looking at stars trying to look for small changes in their brightness which would indicate planets wandering in front and it's been amazingly successful i think probably probably more successful than some people even imagined it would be uh, where it's it's now found candidates for thousands of exoplanets i say candidates incidentally because um kepler effectively looks and he goes oh look that star's got fainter and then it waits and it, if it gets fainter again two more times so you get three eclipses of the star um then that suggests that there's something going on and if the distance between the the eclipses is the amount of time is the same then then that means you've got something which is periodic so you've got something like a planet going around um and then it actually needs to be followed up on the ground to look for sort of radio velocity shifts so you see the change in the brightness but you also want to see a little wobble in the uh, the spectrum of the object to show that there's some movement of mass in there um and if you get both of those then you've got a planet and kepler's been brilliant it's found loads of candidates most of which you then go follow up and you go hey it was right um it was a, a planet and i'm actually i've lost track i don't know it's like a, a i think i think there's, there's at least three thousand official yeah, I, ones i, I think, think so. but there's a whole bunch of unconfirmed that yeah. have only had two dips and then it stopped looking at that patch of sky when it had a dodgy was it a gyro yeah so, it, so yeah one gyro was filled so, so it, it wasn't able to hold on that sky so that was the sort of end of primary mission and but then they kept it eking along um for a bit longer so yeah before they put it out to pasture they were able to spread it around the sky a little bit and still do some really high quality photometry which is which is nice awesome um yeah because it had you say three years of primary mission and it was quite amusing in some ways that kepler i seem to remember one of the gyros went almost bang on the end of the three-year primary thing and everyone went oh well you know we're expecting it to last a bit longer and it's like actually it has done some more science but it was set to do three years. It did its primary mission, and everybody was a little bit disappointed because we got so used to spacecraft think, carrying on longer. Which the, the light curves happened. are exquisite as well, though. I mean, oh, yeah. the the kind of I mean, the, the, you're playing a numbers game with this kind of way of spotting planets because, on average, most things don't transit straight across the star relative to where we're looking at the star from. So the way you get more of those is you just up the star count. So there's what, what hundreds of thousands of stars were in that single field of view. So even though from the back of Edinburgh, you'll maybe get about six stars in that sort of outstretched hand patch of sky. There's you know hundreds of thousands there and 
Kepler was watching every single one of them, just you know, Dude, snapping pictures away all the time, and you know, often pictures as well. So you're you're getting a very high resolution light curve where you can see very fine details. So it's it's nice because you you don't just find planets with that data. You can do astro seismology and lots of weird things where you're measuring pulsations in the stars themselves, which is kind of cool and probably a little bit off topic. So no, but I think it's an interesting thing to point out that yeah. We, we, you done this primary science case of looking for planets, but actually some of it's in discovered mm-hmm. quite a lot of intriguing variation in stars which we didn't expect. A hell of a data set. I, uh, I saw a talk where people were discussing stars which looked like our sun, which Kepler was looking at for a long time, mm. some of which had these massive flare events. You know, we get our little flares which pop off and they come yeah. down, they hit us, we get some aurora. There were like some stars which look very much like our sun, they go poof, <laughs> in like terrifying events, which if they happened would be really bad news for all of us. Um, so that was, I thought that was a really intriguing uh, topic. And that's something which you only get if you stare with precision at the same patch of sky for a very long, stable time. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd miss that sort of thing. So I guess in a, in a testament to how good Kepler was, there's no way you've heard the end of Kepler papers no. coming out. No, so no, no, no. in the same way that Cassini papers will still be coming out for years to come because the data set's so rich, there will be stuff here to be mined for a long time to come. So it's, it's yeah, it's not the end yeah. end. So it's RIP to the, to the craft, but we, not to its We didn't mention sense. why they put it out to pasture finally. You know, there was that kind of, you know, <laughs> old yeller moment. <laughs> Take it out and just sort of, yeah, it's time. It, it was fuel. Right? Am I am I right? I it was believe it was fuel. So yes, I think you can no longer do any sort of point and corrections. Is that correct? No, I'm not sure. I was to say that. I, no, we need to check. So I have a feeling it was fuel for sure, mm-hmm. but I think it needed fuel to be on station, and without fuel, it wasn't able to keep pointed reliably. So there's no way of really working with a dodgy gyro and no fuel. I think that's the. I think that's Let's the end that. game. Yeah, that's that makes I mean. sense. Yeah. Uh, we can drop in and edit when we figure out we talk rubbish. Um, but then that was also the same reason why we lost the other mission, um, which is arguably less well-known. And judging by my Twitter feed, um, the Dawn mission, which has also ended because it ran out of fuel, um, is less loved than Kepler. I was seeing an awful lot of crying emojis and various beams uh, about people saying, that'll do telescope, but that'll do, and Kepler wandering off into the night kind of thing. So it was, it was weird watching everybody get very yeah. emotional, but I kind of get it. You know, if you've spent a long time in your career working with this very rich data set, it's a shame to lose something that's that's become a bit iconic in that field, you know. I think it's also mm. the the public engagement of the science, though, because yeah. exoplanets is a thing that everyone talks about. It's regularly in the news. Everyone's yeah. excited oh, by. We found everyone another knows Kepler. Earth. We did it. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. As where Dawn was looking at sort of asteroids and rocky bodies in our small rocky bodies in our solar system, which I think has as many scientists passionate about, and there's some particularly passionate people in the asteroid field, mm. but it's not as publicly exciting no i guess it depends currently. which bar you're in and which astronomer you're talking to because you know there'll be some people who are obviously very keen on the stuff that don's been doing i think the don mission was was really interesting in that it was a, an ion thruster right yeah, so this is pretty cool that's the really cool thruster that's is not very good in terms of raw power but it can be switched on for ages and last for a very long time and the exhaust velocity is very fast so it's a very efficient engine so and it gives you that lovely blue glow so it's great for sci-fi movies Ala the Martian, yeah. stick a couple iron engines on her back, it'll look great. And the nice um, thing is that you do that and it lets you sort of 
maneuver slowly between objects, which is yeah. how it was able to go. And, and it means you can wander all over the place. So yeah. it went to well, the, the two biggest asteroids in the asteroid belt. So Vesta, which is a, arguably a weird looking thing that's had a big impact in the past. So it's almost spherical, but kind of lumpy. Uh, and then you've got Ceres, which is literally the biggest asteroid and is arguably a dwarf planet as well, because it's, it's nearly nearly perfectly round. Uh, you might have heard of Ceres because of that. Um, the strange, the strange bright spots, which seem to be salt deposits that have been sort of spat out after some impact in this big crater but the spots themselves are incredibly bright and when dawn first saw them um conspiracy people were having lots of fun going it's clearly an alien base with this thing but you know ultimately the the images were not telling as much and dawn has since wandered closer and closer and closer and spent i think nearly three years in orbit around series which is fantastic so you've got really high resolution images of these deposits in the in the bottom of this crater and they are kind of gnarly looking which is really interesting but i think the the current working theories no, no not aliens sad to say um, so actually, but it's still stopped. very interesting it should have stopped earlier really, shouldn't it because if it had just taken those early images where you had the weird, weird shiny bit and then let's say it just stopped working then everyone, you wouldn't have had the high resolution images to go oh it's not an alien and everyone would be like what the heck is that we've got yeah. to send another mission let's go back to Ceres it's clearly something exciting and instead Dawn oh. kind of like went ooh teasing you and then went no it's just I, I don't think it's the end of things positive. to the asteroid belt. I think we'll see some, some, you know, one of the smaller class oh, missions. There probably is one that I'm just not oh, aware yeah, of so right now. Yeah, there was, a, there was a proposal recently. Okay. Ca- something, I think Castaway, which was going to go and try now and... that is a name a I could name. get behind a name yeah, like that. They were cool. obviously going to paint a sort of, you know, Wilson-esque <laughs> thing on the front. Um, but it, the idea was to go and, like, hop between different um, asteroids and cool. uh, go and visit a number of them, take imagery, spectroscopy, because our knowledge... We've actually visited so few things in the actual mm. asteroid belt. Um, considering it's... There are such a variety and such many different objects, and it's quite understanding about the asteroid belt really helps you to understand a lot about the early formation of the solar system, because you've got all these kind of like little pristine bodies in various states. Yeah, if you can go and study a few of those, you can learn a lot about uh, our our solar system. In some ways, more than you do from looking at the Earth, because the Earth's been recycled and changed, Mm -hmm. and you can't work out how it formed. Um, But pretty hard to get between objects which is why showing like an iron drive works is damn cool dawn dawn i think dawn's leg is one of its biggest legacies it always might be the success of the iron mm. drive i mean but contrary to popular belief the asteroid belt's not actually that busy you know <laughs> it's, it's not like the star wars what? one where it's like yeah and the stuff flying all over the place i mean that's Snowstorm. it's fun but yeah i think there's the, like an average of like one au <laughs> the earth sun distance between most big things yeah. in the asteroid belts is everything's quite far apart and there'll be lots of little things in there too but you're not going to hit something if you just fly yeah. randomly through it it's you was wrong the chances of navigating an asteroid are far higher than he said told you never mention the orange <laughs> um, but i mean it's exciting time for asteroid science anyway because Hayabusa is of mm. course creating really great images right now and I think has grabbed its sample I believe or maybe done a test I saw, I saw like uh, a it's images it's just a the test press guide. release is coming fits and starts yeah. and some of them translate well on Twitter and some of them don't so it's, some of the pictures have been looking really cool though and I think at least three rovers that's what we mm-hmm. talked about in the past I don't know if they used the space beanbags that we were talking about <laughs> Um, but that seems to have gone well, yeah. so that'll be fun to talk about when it comes back. And Osiris Rex is rapidly approaching its object as well. And I mm-hmm. think, as you know, so uh, you know, next year you're going to be trying to do a couple of sample grabs from asteroid surfaces. It's you know, this is a really exciting time, but it's just not caught the imagination of the general public in the same way that maybe Kepler has. I think is why you've seen that difference in excitement mm-hmm. over the 
the spacecraft scale. It's nice because it's kind of a, out with the old and the new. There are new things coming on stream. TESS is now actively staring at the sky, doing exactly what Kepler was doing, but over a much wider, I think, 85% of the whole sky yeah, is it looking it's for the same kind of yeah, thing. So it's not quite... Planets, yeah, yeah, exactly. Not quite the same time regime that Kepler had, but it's still going to be a very useful instrument. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that too. But, you know, Revival, on the other hand, Hubble is back up and working again. Last time we talked a lot about Hubble being out of action. Mm-hmm. Um, our sources tell us that, you know, it's back online, it's up and running. I, I believe they turned it on and off again. It was a far more technical term they used to describe it, was, it but yeah, essentially that was what it translates as. Basically, there's a dodgy <laughs> gyro. For some reason it wasn't working, they didn't understand, so they go, boom, yay, go, <laughs> Hubble's back online. I'm sure it's probably more technical than that, but, but ultimately... It, that's good. Hubble's still trucking, and so now I'm still imagining it that it now has a cane, so it's just it's a little bit less shoot, uh, less stable than it was, but it's still still going strong. So it's I all think good. it's still it's, well, we discussed all the time. It's still running on free gyros. It's just that it's now using one of its backups, so it doesn't have a backup. Yeah. So it's a great I insult. It's a great insult when somebody annoys me. I'm going to start going. You're running on two gyros, you. <laughs> Uh, I mean, just sort of sticking with the the mighty the missions topic. Um, I mean, other things worth mentioning is Insight. Uh, mm. Going back to the Mars side of things, Insight is of course rapidly approaching the Mars Martian surface now. It's due to land. Well, in fact, depending on when you're listening to this, it might have landed. Uh, I believe it's due to land on the day that this podcast is going to be released on the 26. Uh, so um, I'm not quite sure what time of day it will be. Mm. We should check. I don't it know. Be landing. I don't as yeah. you're downloading There'll, it. There will be a live stream, I'm sure, because they did this yeah. for Curiosity. And I think, it, again, it's like six minutes of terror where everything <laughs> has to happen on autopilot. They, they've gone for a different... like They, all, they haven't used the, the, the minutes of terror thing. They've gone for some fi- something else which is meant to be equally kind of catchy, engage the public. But again, they've produced a nice, shiny video. So mm-hmm. you, it's worth looking at, actually. Six minutes of squeaky bum time. Is that what we're going I don't think they've gone for that particular <laughs> description, but that's so basically it. Yeah. Do, we, do, we, do we want to record two possible reactions then? A cheer? Yeah, and a like, way to go, Insight. <laughs> oh, Insight. Um, so okay. just, just delete as appropriate. Yes. Um, it's going to be interesting. Cause it's not a curiosity in that there's no space crane, so there isn't that extra level of complexity, but it's still, a, it's still a rocket-powered descent, so heat mm. shield to parachute to rocket to nice soft touchdown on Mars. Um, but the, there's not many obstacles or anything that it should hit. It should be relatively flat in the terrain that it's going for, so fingers crossed. I guess we'll come back to that. Yes. Either <laughs> next month. Or went wrong. Next month. Or, yay, look at this. Doing that would be nice. Uh, and sort of just a couple of ground-based updates as well. Um, the ELT, you may have seen on our Twitter feed, we posted a picture of the ELT progress. It is now a bigger hole in the ground. Oh, hey, there is some concrete. There's, there's concrete in, in said hole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it says making good progress. This is going to be the world's biggest telescope once it's finished. Um, the extremely large telescope in Chile. It's making good progress. There's been a lot of meetings going on currently here locally on site about one of the first light instruments called Harmony that we're involved in the building of. Yeah, that's going to be very cool. You are going to struggle to make us shut up about that in future, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that made it real for me, that picture, in a, in a weird way. Like, that kind of picture. Because like, up until then, it was kind of just like, a, like the, did they not have a shot where they flattened the top of the mountain? Yeah. Mm. Which is not something that happens often in humanity. You know, it's just going to remove the top of the mountain. Um, uh, but yeah, seeing that it's now real, and um, it's all of a sudden become a bit more exciting because it's, it's closer now. It's, it's in within touching distance. Also, really simplistically, that, that, that Pitch press release image they had had a truck in the middle of or a JCB in the middle of the yeah. picture. So <laughs> if you zoom in and you do have to zoom in, you can see this 
what is a perfectly normally sized JCB, but it looks absolutely tiny compared to this huge hole. Yeah. It is a big building. Yeah, yeah, you're big. asking for the conspiracy theory where it was just a tiny model truck on <laughs> stage somewhere. <laughs> so a little bit smaller, but equally exciting big telescope. Yes, the TMT. Or the, the Teenage Mutant <laughs> Telescope. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. I consider that risk. Um, <laughs> the 30-meter telescope. Uh, so just for scales, the European Extremely Large Telescope, the ELT, is going to be 39 meters across. This one's 30 meters across. Um, and this is, and I say this very carefully, it's being built in Hawaii. Um, and that's actually the, the, the news which is worth talking about, is the fact that it's just had its building permit re-agreed um, in Hawaii. So the TMT um, is sort of an American-Canadian, uh, Chinese uh, combination um, countries building, uh, again, another one of these vast sort of next-generation telescopes. Um, but although, as you say, it's, it's, it's not as big. And actually, the press release I read yeah. spoke about, this will be the world's largest telescope. This will be the world's largest telescope. <laughs> it, it, it won't be. By the time it's built, it won't be. Um, anyway, let's do it. So, I mean, the ELT is 38 metres. 30, 39. 39. Diameter, yeah, uh, and this is thirty. So they're in the same sort of class. I mean, the current class is it, ten. So it's, it's a big step up. It's a, yeah, if, on its own, it would be messed up. Anyway, the reason it's of interest is the fact that they are trying to build this on top of Mauna Kea, which is the highest mountain in uh, the mount, uh, the islands of Hawaii, mm-hmm. um, where a north. I think there's like thirteen large telescopes on the top of that mountain already. It's probably is arguably still the best place on the planet to do um, observing. Uh, Antarctic's pretty good as well, actually, but... Complicated. Complicated. Um, but this is now complicated too, and the reason it's complicated is because the mountain of Mauna Kea is a sacred mountain to the indigenous population, and uh, they had managed to successfully block uh, the, the previous applications to, to build... Well, in fact, there's been a whole checkered, and I'm afraid to say not, fantastic history um relating to this um mm. and i say that from you know the, i'm not sure the astronomers have always been brilliant um that they got this through and they started building it a few years ago and then protesters literally blocked the roads um up to the mountaintop um and then it was reinvestigated and actually it's been re uh, agreed that they had to have permission they've now gone through all the proper channels and they've gone through all the necessary courts that they are officially allowed to start building this uh, telescope on mm. top of the mountain um, I should stress, actually, not directly on top of the mountain anymore. Um, it's slightly lower down. It's, they've tried to put it in a place which is less visible, etc. Um, so I'm, I'm sensing some of that is we, we, we're trying to sort of restore trust in the astronomical community a wee bit. There's a lot of relationships. It sounds like there's some rebuilt. procedural yes. things that have not been handled very no, well. And for a very long time as well. No. Yeah. And I think one of the long. intriguing problems is that every telescope that's been built on that mountain comes with the clause that when you finish using it, you bring the mountain back. You fill in the hole in the ground. Yes, mountain goes back to being the mountain. mountain goes back yeah. to exactly as it was before. They haven't stopped using any telescopes. They just keep building new ones and uh, another new one and another new one. And I think the old ones get sold off to new people. Yeah, which is what the UK have done. We, the UK, you, this this observatory here in Edinburgh used to run uh, the the UK telescope um, and the JCMT mm. over there. Um, and I'm hoping some lessons are getting learnt here. Well, <laughs> this is an interesting question, mm. and, I, and I think. Whilst TMT now has clearance, apparently they're still looking at the other, their secondary site is La Palma, and I don't think they've quite made the decision as to whether they will plough ahead regardless of all the problems that are likely to come their way, mm. because people will probably try and block the rows again, and you know, 
depending on your point of view, understandably try and block the roads. Um, I don't think it's going to be a quick build. And you're trying to build one of the most complex things that's ever been built. Yeah. You know, I mean, let's be, let's be honest. Yeah, I'm joking that it's not as big as the 39-meter telescope. It's huge. It's yeah. a massive undertaking. So it's it's just out of interest, did the ELT have to, you know, given that they cut the top of this mountain off, has Very that been a, a, an issue of... of contention no. with anybody or, or has that been absolutely fine Chilean um, government on board with it kind of I, thing or? I hope I'm not wrong in sense I've never heard of any I, I'm not aware um, of anything in, but I, I, I think the difficulty I'm here is that for Hawaii there's there's a, an indigenous population who live right there on the mountain right whereas okay. in Chile no one's living in the Atacama Desert anymore or hardly anybody um, and I think also uh, the, the sort of populations who the, the indigenous populations have had a, a longer, more checkered history um, in which they were you know, basically just disappeared um, in terms of their voice within Chile. That's not entirely true. There are populations. But but I don't think anyone is saying that mountain is mine and I believe it's got any, I've got any right or sacred belief associated with mm. it um, in Chile at all. So basically the Chilean government have set aside a huge amount of area for um, building the towers. You know, they, because they don't just get the mountain, actually. They've got sort of protected building rights on. Right, you know, okay. Basically, no one can come and start building a mine just down the road. Because basically, that's all that's in the Atacama Desert, miners mm. and astronomers. It, it's a um, shame in a way because the, the, the sort of the issues with um, Mauna Kea, um, astronomy is one of those subjects where I've always had a lot of pleasure in telling people that it, it, it knew it had to get global very fast because all of the best skies are in these various mm -hmm. locations and you have to collaborate quickly and you want to build the best instruments so you send stuff all over the place and so I think astronomy and, and big physics you know the particle physics experiments they, they knew they had to go to certain places and try and work together to get this stuff done or it wouldn't happen you couldn't just do this within one country's borders really um, so it's, it's a bit of a shame that it's you know a tempestuous past there um, I think it's gone international national but it's gone international in a sort of almost like a gentrified manner mm. you've got all the scientists working together but they're not necessarily communicating with local people or with indigenous groups yeah you, you it, it varies massively because i know there are other stories in hawaii where that's not been the case and they have been more engaged and it's very yeah. very different but i think there's a definitely a a lot of negative um cases in the past for this and yeah, this will be a very I mean, long and difficult time to recover from that. I will try and dive into this more, I think, because it's something I don't it's really, I haven't read enough on. I haven't seen enough of the, the, the comments from various sides. And it would be nice to just get context. Mm. I, I was talking mm. to a colleague who, who, who used to work in um, Hawaii. He was saying that the relationship used to be much better. And he was, you know, he was, he was quite proud to be in Hawaii as an astronomer. And he went back not that long ago and he was meeting with former colleague who still works there who said D don't say what you do don't 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 men when you go into a pub when you go into, just don't oh really because, like because you, you pretend you know probably not you'll probably be fine but you're saying you might get hostility mm -hmm. in the way that dimmer used to be perceived as that yeah i mean th i think the trouble is astronomers have i think they've been arrogant in they've they've kind of gone well we're doing this wonderful research which is fascinating and fantastic mm -hmm. we're also spending a billion pounds building a telescope and we're going to bring in lots of money and isn't that important and good and it's like well actually People are saying, well, hang on, that's our mountain. And yeah, I think, I think the, the easy answer is, well, it depends. And, it you know, depends. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is complicated. So. so it's, I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, it's for the TMT team, I think it's very unfortunate. And obviously, obviously it's unfortunate. But because even if they started tomorrow on Hawaii, it, 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 it's surely going to slow down the, the rate. Yeah. And at one point, the TMT was ahead of the um, European project. Um, they were, the design was more developed. In some ways, the design, design, was, desi the design was slightly simpler. 
mm-hmm. um, to to enable them to get there more quickly. Um, but as we we're just saying, you know, ELT now has a big hole in the ground with a truck in it, um, and and foundations laid in concrete and is steaming ahead, whereas they haven't even started. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to very watch, interesting to watch yeah yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because the la palma skies just just isn't as good and um, nope. so at bottom line i think you know the reason you would hang on is because you want to do everything you can to see if you can find the place that that suits that instrument i mean given that it's uh, mostly american funded as well i believe yes, the TNT. so i mean obviously to have it within the american um national border yeah. kind of thing would also be a nice There's thing as well pressure so to do that I think. yeah um, and i think just to add into the final sort of consideration to put in the mix, there's a license for the telescopes on Hawaii for all of them. And that comes up for review, at, I think, in around 2030, Oh, I see. So, so it's not that far away. You wouldn't um, want to jeopardize no. all the astronomy on the mountain for the sake of and, that and one. And this is like twofold argument because some people are saying build the TMT and then you've just spent a billion pounds and there's no possible way that they can close you down because they've just built the TMT. Mm. And other people are saying build the TMT and you annoy everybody. Yeah. So uh, I think this is this is the best place on the planet to observe the sky, debatably. We don't want to lose it. We, we've got to find the right way. You know, they should be plowing fortune into trying to win round people and maybe yeah. building a bloody big telescope is not the not the way to do it. Yeah, well, I, I guess I'd keep my fingers crossed. You know, I, mm-hmm. I kind of yeah. feel like you know, every situation there's a redeemable way of <laughs> going forward for, so. for everybody to be happy. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed. I'm saying that a lot tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no fingers left to cross. Um, well, we're going to sort of steer away from that for a minute, and we're going to talk a little bit about a thing we've mentioned in the past, which is a space mission that got launched uh, about a month, month and a half ago now, which was Bepi Colombo, which we sort Ooh. of mentioned in the passing as having been launched and successfully gone online. But I thought it would be good to go back and just sort of cover a bit more detail about this mission. So this is a mission that is going to Mercury, the closest planet to the sun, um, and is successfully launched, um, and it is now orbiting the Earth, preparing, sort of doing the initial commissioning phase before it goes further and starts heading towards Mercury. It's a joint ESA and JAXA mission. So JAXA is Japanese Space Agency, and I actually had to look up what JAXA stood for, which I is the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency. Exploration, which is oh, good. Another yeah. good acronym. Oh, I like yeah. it. Yeah. Like. I think that's probably the best one I've seen so far. <laughs> um, so that's the that's JAXA, and they've basically built two different um, in, two different spacecraft. So ESA have built the Mercury Planetary Orbiter or MPO, and JAXA have built the Mercury Magnetospheric Orbiter. So, so two orbiters for the price of one, pretty much. Yeah, and then they're both mounted on a sort of transfer vehicle that's carrying them there. But as the name suggests, the ESA one sort of looking at the planet itself, lots of imagers and spectrograph to analyze the makeup of the planet, trying to get a idea of what the core is made of, that kind of stuff. As where the JAXA one is sort of staying further away from the the planet in a much wider orbit, kind of like biggest eccentric orbit as well. So it changes its distance relative to the planet quite regularly in its orbit. And that lets it go through the magnetosphere. So this is the sort of magnetic shielding that goes around the planet. And that gives it a different set of information to understand more about that aspect of it. Because Mercury's got quite a, a big magnetic field, hasn't it? Yeah. Which is really odd. It's such a small body. It's so small. Small but dense, therefore mm-hmm. mysteries to oh, solve. Um, isn't it? Because magnetic fields, I'm not a geologist, clearly, I'm about to prove, is <laughs> linked partially with the fact that we've got a kind of Iron core, a molten, molten iron. I think core, Earth's one is bleak, certainly yeah. from that. Yeah. So, if you're sm- cause, and Mars doesn't have a magnetic field because we thought because it's like t- too small, it's cooled, the, the core is more stable, and therefore you've somehow lost the field. 
Okay, yeah. I might have doubt my dad. You but can get weird regions. Got one, it's too yeah. small. It's yeah. too damn small. That's you, you can get weird regions where the field gets locked in. So, like in Mercury's case, I don't know if that is why there's a magnetic field. So, like a bar magnet, you know, doesn't tend to lose its field over time, and and that's kind of locked into the metal. And on Mars, there's these weird swirly regions. Did we mention these? I don't think we brought these up. Yeah, yeah. I'll maybe talk about this in more detail another time. But the, there's regions that kind of look like a tornado is going and done a little sweeping motion across the surface, and they've realised that that's regions where there is a fairly strong local magnetic field and something weird going on in the rocks there, uh, which is kind of interesting. I mean, you know how the Earth's magnetic field flips every X thousand years or so, because I haven't remembered the number. Um, The reason we know this is because if you have a lava flow that happens, um, you can lock in information as that rock solidifies on what the magnetic field is like at that time. And the the geologist can can work that out and sort of trace the timeline back and see what the field was doing. So it's it's pretty cool Mm. that you can do all this stuff. And obviously with Mercury, we can't can't quite get down to the surface to poke around in the rocks. Um, But I bet you could do a lot with doing that map and seeing Mm. where things are weird and and where they're not weird. That's what Bepi Colombo will show. it's going to be fun. So it's on an elliptical, so I can't remember the acronym, but the Japanese one is on the elliptical orbit. orbit. Yeah. yeah, so that's going to pass through the Bengi series. So it's a bit further out and it kind of dips. If memory serves, it's further from the planet on the far side and closer on the sun side. Oh yeah, of course, because the sun must have some pretty big impact on yeah. Mercury. Yeah, it kind of bends it all backwards. Yeah. So on the feet, magnetic field. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Plus, I think Mercury's core is bigger relative to it than most of the other rocky planets as well. So it's 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 more chunky than it should be for its size, which is kind of cool. So um, also, we're going to have to wait a while to get these results, though. How long? Because it's a 7.2-year transfer journey God, from Earth to Mercury. Why is it so long? It's really hard because you're going downhill the whole way. So you're heading towards the sun, you're going towards the gravity. So we've discussed this in the past where it's yeah. like going down a big hill on your bike and trying to stop at the shop just before you hit the bottom of the thing. You need an awful <laughs> lot of brakes to actually stop. Seven years. Seven so years. It's doing lots of loops. So seven years and several transits. So in its journey, it's going to do one Earth flyby to slow down, two Venus flybys to slow down, and then six loops around Mercury to slow it down enough to actually get into a stable orbit, which means it won't actually arrive at Mercury properly until the 5th of December, 2025. Wow, by which time the ELT will be operational. Oh my gosh. That's um, insane. It's quite I scary because I, I bet if you threw money at it, you could get it there quicker. But this is obviously a, a fuel optimal yes. trajectory. So I guess um, if you had a big enough know, booster, you could slow it down. Yes, that'd be shrink, shrink your payload to just a little you know, Rubik's Cube <laughs> and then have nothing but fuel and yeah. engine and you and can maybe get there slow faster. Slow down, put, yeah. put the brakes on and you come in. Yeah. So, but uh, that's fine. It'll be worth waiting for, you know, and I think. <laughs> Is it uh, sort of turned off for that time to go into a kind of low power mode or something during? Yeah, I think it's doing. Yeah. I think it's doing small things on the because it's currently commissioning around um, in Earth orbit just now, just to get it kind of set up oh, and right. ready to so go. It's still right, um, and then it's going to start its journey. So it's like commissioning phase in orbit. I actually quite like the, so, yeah, the flyby times. You get nice pictures of the flyby mm. places <laughs> as well. So I I would like to see a wee bit of the Earth and a wee bit of Venus in those two different flybys. So I'm hoping the cameras will be on as they go past. Yeah, sometimes they flick the cameras on, don't they? Just to, to just to, for fun. Te- well, yeah, but also to test yeah. when you're flying by. Yeah, yeah. So check it out and check. You said uh, the two different craft are on a kind of common bus. Yes. Is that used in any way is is it to relay signals or is it? I think it's just the motor actually. Right. Okay. So I, uh, it probably has communication as well. It's kind of the <laughs> it's the bus they're both sat in that's going to drive them to Mercury. Um, 
Space that's, 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 a, that's a spacecraft boss joke there. That, that's a very niche <laughs> audience one. Um, so that's going to be what's carrying there. It's like it's called the Mercury Transfer or uh, Mercury Transfer Vehicle or something like that. It is very much a. It's going to carry them there and then drop them off. If you go and watch the ISA cartoons about this, because he's done cartoons and oh, same yeah. as Rosetta. Cool. It's basically how it's portrayed is as this kind of thing that's carrying the two of them there and then going to drop them off. And then, and then, that's then it. it's done. I'm not sure what happens to it. I didn't want to look up whether it like jettisons into the planet or into the sun or just flies off, but uh, do you know what, a happy what, ending for it. Do you know at what point it gets thrown away, the bus? Once the telescope um, are in orbit. So, so it'll be like with them all the, the way to Mercury. Vehicle, yeah. Is it firing its engines at the gravity assists as well? Or is oh, it just taking know. the assist and going... I would assume not because it's trying to steal momentum. Um, yeah. Well, I know sometimes you can give it a little boost every now and again and course corrections and mm. the like, so well, I'd be curious to... gravity assists or desists? Desists, <laughs> I believe. So, so they slow down. Yeah. You're, you're speeding up Earth and Venus. Yeah. Just, Just a little, little bit. That's <laughs> good, because we do keep doing all these crafts where you're going to get gravity assists. Off oh, yeah, I've got to keep it like, balanced. Like rebalance yeah. things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting things back into the system. It's good. It's good. Actually, I did this math in my undergraduate course. The amount of momentum that spacecraft steals from the Earth during a flyby to speed it up is about the same as a midge hitting the front of a like eighteen ton truck. Wow, so you need, you that's need an awful f- lot of midges. That's a have any that's impact. a fine number. We're <laughs> <laughs> giving a midge back. No, yeah. I'm taking this too far. Sorry. A midge is giving the truck a push. That's that's it. <laughs> yes, somewhere oh, in the so world there's a midge pushing a truck. <laughs> um, as a, as a sort of side point, so I didn't know this. Um, the name Bepi Colombo is actually named after someone. So there's an ESA and NASA scientist called Giuseppe Colombo. Um, who was a Mercury scientist who also worked as an engineer um, in space ca- spacecraft tethering technologies um, and sort of very famous for his work on Mercury as a scientist. So they named it after him and his nickname was Beppy instead of Giuseppe. Oh, exactly right. They so haven't spelled his name wrong. No, no, <laughs> that's why it's called Beppy Colombo. That's quite rare, isn't it? Mm. To name a craft after a person. Uh, I mean, uh, well, I guess. Well, well I think yeah. oh, so no. he, he, he has died. Oh, no, that's not true. So Hubble and Kepler. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just say that Parker, back. Parker was the strange one because <laughs> that's that guy's still alive. That's it, he's still alive. Uh, I knew oh, there was something odd about one of these. Thank you. I feel this one is not. I think one's pretty stupid, yeah. <laughs> so just one last thing I'm going to throw in here. Uh, a special treat for Ali. There's been a, a, a moon-based film out and Ali's been to see it, so we'll try and keep it to a short review what? then. Um, so yes, play the um, Barry Norman film music, please, on, in the background. That would be nice. Um, the uh, Have you both seen it yet? No, no not yet. Okay, so I, I, I had to go. I was really keen. I went with my family. and yeah, it, I haven't seen it because I was waiting to go and see it with you, actually. We said we are going to go see it as the three of us, and you went without us. Anyway. Sorry, I'm extending Sorry, time. Sorry, f- father-son quality time got, had to happen. So, uh, yeah, went to see oh First Man. I, I, I was really pleasantly surprised, I think, because I was nervous. I, I, I saw Apollo 13 when it was in the cinema back in 1995, and I was on my own for that particular cinema trip, and I loved Apollo 13, and it's the reason why I'm a space nerd. So First Man has done really well in that it's not Apollo 13. It's much more sort of documentary-like. So uh, they've still gone for that same level of realism. They've worked really, really hard to make the spacesuits look exact. Every single shot looks the way it should have looked. Um, there's little, little things like Mike Collins is carrying a brown paper bag on his way from the launch tower to the capsule. And in that brown paper bag was a fish nailed to a piece of wood as a present for Gunther Wendt, who was the pad chief in NASA. So little details like that, just knowing that he had to carry that brown paper bag, that so got included in the film. So a fish... Like, <laughs> 
<laughs> a lot of the things I found out about this when I was reading up on it was really fun because they, they really have gone and worked hard to give you as much historical detail as possible. So there's lots of little Easter eggy things. I'm not questioning the film. I'm questioning <laughs> the, the actual fact that so somebody had to say. Apparently, it. it was a joke tradition that the astronauts would give Gunther, um, the the pad leader guy, a joke present. So Neil Buzz and Mike Collins all gave him something. I forget what the other two items were, but Mike Collins' one was in that brown paper bag. And there's a picture of him carrying his oxygen recycler thing. So it'd be like a portable air conditioner. Uh, and beside that is the brown paper bag. And they, they remembered to include it in the film when they were actually filming that scene. So that's the level of detail we're talking about here. The sound design is really amazing. So the music is very good. And the, um, the audio of some of the equipment, they've really gone and sourced it. They found nerds people who built a home version of the Gemini interior capsule switch for switch then they learned how the switches would work so that the actors knew what switches to be flicking so that's the level of detail we're talking about and ultimately the reason I didn't compare it to Apollo 13 is that you're much more in his seat you're kind of just riding with him on the rocket and Apollo 13 is very much uh, looking from the outside in a lot of the time uh, so it was a it was a nice thing because you're kind of just there and you kind of feel what it might have felt like and one of my favorite moments is um, trying not to give any spoilers but the, the, the moment where they're actually landing they have Charlie Duke the real original Charlie Duke his recording from 1969 talking to the Neil and the Buzz actors who are in the spacecraft it's all kind of in real time and you're just getting the Charlie Duke loop so they're actually acting with original Charlie and it turns out they wanted to include an extra line so that the audience would get that um, they were starting to run out of fuel so it just helped the narrative move so they got Charlie to re-record uh, a wee line that they slotted in next to 50 year old Charlie or uh, 50 years previous Charlie so like, again that level of detail I had no idea until I looked into it so I was, I was pleased there are also three Armstrongs in the film and so Neil Armstrong's two sons are in there. Um, one is seen, one is heard. Uh, and then one of the Armstrong's sons, another Armstrong, is also seen in the movie in a brief cameo. So there's a couple of little, a couple of other people that are in there. Um, there's a nice moment where there's a scene where you see them getting sketched by a, a famous artist who's, I'm sorry, I forget the name. Um, but that artist is played by that artist's son, who is in their own right a very good um, sketch artist. So he's sitting there doing, doing real um, sketch work in that scene. So there's little moments like that so it's really nice they've gone to town on it worth going to see um and yeah i think my favorite moment is still there's a really nice long shot that sits you on the moon and it just makes you feel you know black sky no stars visible because you're kind of astronaut time so you just don't see the stars you're just there and that alone is worth paying the price of going to go and see the film so i you will you will enjoy it i think that is my confident prediction and then we can talk about any things that i didn't like later <laughs> okay i think that's the point where william and i need to go off to cinema now to go see this film it sounds absolutely great yes so coming, Ali. Going without you. <laughs> spoiler they do make it i just thought i'd oh. point that out you they totally get there we'll stop you there if we have any more spoilers away ali thank you very much for listening <laughs> cheers all bye <laughs>